What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and I'm very glad to be joined with NFL analyst from Bleacher Report, Connor Rogers. Connor, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, no problem, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on again, man. Of course. So a couple weeks back during the NFL draft, you were a part of the, the live show through Bleach Report for the NFL draft. And so I kind of wanted to get your outlook on, you know, being a part of this sort of experience and, you know, putting together hours of content three days straight. What was that like? Yeah, yeah, it was a really special opportunity here at Bleacher Report. I mean, I work with, you know, two of the best, our host, Adam Lefko, who hosts his own show, The Lefko Show, and then obviously my co-host from Stick to Football, Matt Miller. So it was, and even uh, on day three, Mello was up there with us too, so my other co-host on Stick to Football. So, I mean, it was really cool. We have an amazing production crew at Bleacher Report, the people behind the scenes, whether it's the producers, the cameras, the graphics operators, uh, everybody that helps with our highlight packages. It's an awesome, awesome group of people that, you know, you don't get to see all the things they do to make such a special, uh, uh, you know, broadcast mm-hmm. from a visual standpoint. And I think for me personally, it was just incredible to put all that time and preparation into something and then be live for three days, you know, averaged about five hours of on-air time, sometimes more. I believe nights one and two might have been a little more. Grading every single pick, just having to know every single player I think it was really cool to to put all that time and months into it. I mean, dating back really to last summer, the preparation for that across the board to make a special event like that for three days. And I think there was no place better to do it than Bleacher Report. We have a ton of experience doing it like that. This is my first year, though, on the desk from night one throughout the entire thing. And it really is a marathon, just everything you have to do to prepare, whether it is, you know, being live and talking that much for a long time is, is really it's crazy, like, the, but mm-hmm. doing the podcast for so long helped with that. Getting to see a lot of these players, getting to go to a lot of events that have to do with these prospects of the NFL draft. It, it was a blast, and I hope our audience really enjoyed it. And for those that missed it, I hope you, you know, they hope they join us next year because we are a commercial-free, uh, nothing but information analysis and fun kind of broadcast. Yeah, no, I I didn't catch all the the entire time, but I watched bits and pieces of every day, and it was really interesting to watch. Uh, you know, just the straight analysis, which was different from what you see on ESPN with the background stories and a lot of it focusing on those main, you know, top players and not really getting to each, each player, which I really enjoyed watching from you guys. And then the the one question I guess I had for you, like you mentioned it before that obviously this is months and months of hard work, but did it get easier as it went on because you were more comfortable or did it become more difficult because when you get into day three, there's a lot of guys that most people haven't even heard of. And I mean, obviously, you've done your research and you know, but did it get easier or harder and why? I think it got harder, honestly. It was interesting for me as I got into maybe the first week of April. I sat there and I was like, man, I have a lot more players left to get through than I thought. And mm-hmm. I'm not somebody that just wings this. I keep it schedule. I mean, the big thing is over summer, I usually watch about, I don't know, 100 players. And I'm not going to sit there and watch every single game of their, you know, underclassmen season, but I'll watch enough to understand the player. And then CFE Saturdays, when I'm not on the road, I'll sit there and watch college football mm-hmm. on multiple screens, pretty much, you know, from when you wake up till you go to sleep, it's part of the job. Yeah. And, and then I think a, a big caveat that helped and hurt this year was that I was on the road for about seven of those weeks or six of those weeks where it's amazing going into one game and getting to watch all those players up close, yeah. but you miss a million other games. So, then you get to the draft process and you want to rewatch players and catch up on things. 
So by the time you get to those day three guys, it becomes a crapshoot really of who's going to be picked and who's not. And that's where having, whether it's league or scouting sources, really guides you along of who they think will be drafted. And those guys will be wrong plenty of times as well. So there's mm-hmm. going to be players you invest a lot of time into that don't even get picked, which is fascinating. And there'll be players that you might have invested a half hour to that get picked two rounds earlier than you thought. It was one hilarious example was actually Quinn and Williams' brother was picked by the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, at the end of the third round. Oh, okay. And I, I, at the time, he, he was not a player I had watched, and I know he was a player. Miller said that was the first player not in his rankings. And NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah, said the same thing. So across the board, nobody had rated this player, and he somehow snuck into the third round. So <laughs> it just goes to show you, we can put in, uh, what, 300 true preparation days for this entire event mm-hmm. and it'll be something that always slips through the cracks yeah was there was there also a player um, on the other end of the spectrum that you put a lot of time in that you were surprised didn't show up and you know during your coverage i think one that i personally got with two that i personally got to know were tyree jackson the quarterback from buffalo and mm-hmm. gerald willis the defensive lineman from miami I-, I think both had flashes of brilliance in their final college seasons and i think those are the guys you should take the swings for on day three and mm-hmm. te- teams didn't bite. Now I loved their, here's the thing. Sometimes being a UDFA has its benefits. I, I think Tyree Jackson in an offense that's tailored to Josh Allen's strengths is phenomenal for him. He can go mm-hmm. there and be Josh Allen's backup. And they already have a relationship where it'll be a really, really fun quarterback room where guy, the guys that push each other very hard, yeah. Gerald Willis going to Baltimore there's defensive leaders over there in that unit, whether it's a guy like Tony Jefferson on the back end, they have really good young players that can guide him along. So those guys have really high ceilings to me and I thought they should have been picked. And I was surprised that they weren't picked considering how the draft fell and how many picks there are. But at the end of the day, you know, the the bright side for them is I think they have bright futures. No question. Almost being able to pick where you go as opposed to being drafted in the seventh round definitely has its advantages. But the the number one thing that most people like to do at the end of the draft is is grade the team's drafts, give out winners and losers. And sometimes it's kind of hard because the players haven't even played a down in the NFL yet to really define what's a winning draft and a losing draft. So can you walk me through what your process is for determining who won and who lost during the NFL draft? Yeah, I think that's a great question because there is some irony in it. There is some uh, comedy factor in it to call somebody a winner or a loser when you haven't gotten to the results end of the spectrum, which is so funny. But it's something that we do based on the belief in ourselves that we're going to be right. So the way I break it down for winners and losers is a couple different ways. One, when you took the player, what kind of value did you get? If I have a player that was my 15th overall player and a team gets him with the 64th pick, That's incredible value in my eyes. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying that I'm always right, but I'm confident enough in my valuations that I'm at least close. So if you get a player like that, a good example here is DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf, I think, was my 14th overall player, 15th overall player. And you look at him, he falls to, I think it was pick 64 or somewhere along those lines to Seattle, which is a great landing spot for him. The concerns were medical related. The guy could play. He's, He's an absolutely phenomenal athlete with great size and strength. So I think the other thing for winners or, or and losers here is did you solve team needs? You can go anybody can go into a draft and continue to take the highest ranked players overall, but did you 
navigate the draft the right way to get stronger in areas where you significantly needed help. And that goes really to my third thing. How did you play the draft? Here's a good example for the New York Giants. The New York Giants took Daniel Jones sixth overall. They took Dexter Lawrence 17th overall. By polling other teams, Daniel Jones would have been there at 17 for them. Mm. And even if they were scared that he wouldn't be, the play was not to take him six. The play was to trade 17 and another pick to go back up for him after getting a stud, whether it was Josh Allen or whoever you may be, at six overall. Now, a lot of people will sit here and say, well, Daniel Jones hits. Nobody will care when he gets taken. But you have to know how to value players because that's how you get other good players But later on in the draft. And I think Dave Gettleman has really struggled with that process. I thought Dexter Lawrence, for a lot of teams, was an early second-round player because of his you know, limited ability in terms of being a two-down guy, not a three-down guy. When it comes down to it, for me, I just think it's something that some general managers truly struggle with, and I think it's something that Gettleman will have to get better at if they want to be successful in the future, not just strong in certain areas but a rounded-out team. So it's interesting. Those are really the, the three simple ways of defining winners and losers right after the draft because it is a results-based business, and, and of course we'll always be wrong about things, mm-hmm. but I think it's also fair to judge them on those things I just listed. Yeah, no, definitely. And do you mind giving me an example of maybe a couple teams that – in your mind, won this year's draft, and then a couple teams that that lost this year's draft? The Buffalo Bills are a perfect example of a winner. In terms of value, I thought Ed Oliver was a top-three player in this draft. They got him ninth, and they needed pass rush help on that defensive front. They just got one of the best ones in the entire draft. Cody Ford, to me, was a top-20 player who could play right tackle or be a top-end guard, and they got him, what, 38th, somewhere, 42nd, somewhere in the second round, Mm -hmm. almost in the middle of the second round. And you go back and you watch their War Room video series or video clip, and, and they wanted Cody Ford at the you know back in the end of round one, mm-hmm. then at the top of the second, and they just couldn't find the right trades to go get him, and they finally had him slide all the way to them. They were almost in disbelief when the Panthers traded up for Greg Little, not Cody Ford. And then you look at the pick like Dawson Knox. I thought Dawson Knox was a second-round player. They got him in the third I heard there was some maybe medical concerns there. I I don't have those same concerns. I'm not a doctor. When it comes down to it for me, the Bills dominated the value game and the needs game of this draft. Even a player like Jaquan Jaquan Johnson from Miami, the safety, Boshan Joseph, the linebacker, safety hybrid player, they just kept hitting on need after need at high value spots, and that's how you end up with an A+. I thought the Titans did a similar job in this draft. Arizona was very similar. I know people thought Oakland made reaches. I thought Oakland had a phenomenal draft because they secured so many needy spots with high-end, high-floor talent. So I really liked those drafts. And then you go to a team like Houston, and it seemed like the opposite. And when we go back to those three things that I listed in the beginning of this show, it comes down to they kind of failed at them. They they got played. They wanted Andre Dillard. Eagles knew that and traded ahead of them. Mm-hmm. They reached on Titus, Titus Howard, who was really a second-round developmental tackle. Now, he could be a very good one. But nobody really had eyes on taking him that early in the first round. Max Sharpen could be a good right tackle, but once again, he's a developmental guy. Deshaun Watson can't play behind a line that's a developmental line because he'll get hurt again. He, he needs players that could be impact players now. And I thought Dillard, Cody Ford, those guys were like that, and they just didn't find a way to maneuver the draft to get those better players. And it was a very frustrating thing to witness for Houston. And Green Bay was interesting. I love the Darnell Savage pick. But when it comes down to it for me, Rashawn Gary at 12, they have pass rushers like Rashawn Gary, and, may, and they're less raw. I mean, they mm-hmm. just spent a lot of money on those guys. So a very interesting draft for Green Bay. I liked some of the picks. I hated some of the other picks. 
And I think when it comes down to it, teams are just not always grasping value or how to navigate the draft to fill their needs. Yeah, and I want to focus on three players that were drafted specifically. And if you have any more uh, with with an interesting storyline, then I'd, I'd love to hear it. But the first one I want to focus on is Clellan Farrell. So Mike Mayock was was quoted after the draft saying that, you know, he watched the national championship game and he said, man, if you can take guys from Alabama and Clemson, you're going to be set. And with the fourth pick in, in the draft, that's what he did. He took Clellan Farrell, a defensive end from Clemson. But on a lot of on a lot of people's boards, Clellan Farrell wasn't, wasn't picked to go at fourth. So even if he really liked that guy, you know, he, he could have traded back and gotten him. So what was your thought process when they took Clellan Farrell at four? So I actually didn't dislike it like a lot of people did. It was kind of funny for me. Cleveland Farrell was my 10th overall player. They took him at four. He plays a premium position. That's outside pass rusher. Kind of built like a 4-3 defensive end. So when it came down to me, Oakland saw a player that was a high character. I mean, he, this guy was the captain, one mm-hmm. of the captains of a two-time national championship team that took down Alabama this year, who was supposed to be one of the, if not the greatest college football team of all time. So they had a type. They wanted high-character players that play with an edge, that play with attitude. They got the same guy at safety in Jonathan Abram, and then Josh Jacobs will be their workhorse running back. So I like the Cleveland Farrell pick. People can call it a reach. That's fine. The Raiders wanted safe picks in this draft. They also wanted to trade. They couldn't find the right trade. So I didn't dislike this pick like a lot of other people did. I thought it was fine in that spot. I think people get really, really obsessive and fall in love with upside. And Cleveland Farrell is not an upside player. He's a, this is what he can do for you now and going forward player. And I'm okay with Oakland taking that kind of guy. And then another guy that you touched on was Daniel Jones. So obviously, this was probably the shock of the draft. The Giants taking him sixth overall. I mean, there's there's obvious reasons why, you know, they could have gone Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, they could have gotten an edge rusher. Do you mind telling us why this pick makes sense? I mean, I know it's it's kind of low-hanging fruit to say this was a reach, uh, but I kind of want to get your take on why this was a good pick for the Giants. Oh, it's going to be hard for me to come up <laughs> with a reason of why, to be honest with you. But, I mean, if I had to give you some, is that it, Jones is somebody that has, you know, I think he can be a really good anticipation thrower in that offense. I really do think that. I think... He has some underrated athleticism. I think he'll come in and be the right guy to sit behind Eli. And, you know, Coach Shermer will really work with him, and and he'll give it his all. I mean, he really will. He'll work as hard as he can to become a better player. There's just physical limitations at the position. The arm is is okay. It's not spectacular. When you take a guy sixth overall, you're not really – taking guys like that that have physical limitations. And mm-hmm. another problem for me is Daniel Jones has been hurt, and nobody talks about that. That's a little scary if I'm investing that kind of pick in a player that is an incomplete player that's battling an injury history. So when it comes to any, he just wasn't overly productive in the ACC consistently weekend, you know, on a weekly basis. I think that's an issue. So, it, But for them, if they believe that he was the right player to come in and develop and Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke weren't, then they feel they've done the homework on the character of the player and they like the fit in the offense with, you know, like I said, with Coach Shermer and behind Eli Manning and throwing a Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley, then, you know, so be it. But they're betting their jobs on this guy at a very, very early pick. Well, and the thing that, that scares me with that is when you take a quarterback sixth overall, you know, you, you could have gotten someone at 17, but when you get in the top 10 uh, drafting a quarterback, you expect, you know, most teams would expect 
that person to make an impact right away. Do you think there's any concerns that the Giants will rush him in and potentially start him this season? Or, you know, if they eventually bench Eli, if that were to happen, that he gets in too early and kind of stunts his development? I don't have those concerns. I think this is a team that has been perfectly content with Eli Manning playing as long as they need him to play. And I think that, you know, they've come out and said it before, and I actually believe them. They feel that Daniel Jones could sit for two, three, I mean, they said three years. I can't see that happening. I don't know. If he has to sit three years, this regime might not be there to witness him ever play on the field. <laughs> so when it comes down to it, I mean, I think he'll play this year. I think it'll be in the latter half of the season, and I think they won't rush him, you know, throughout camp this year. Yeah, and then one of my favorite moves – of the draft. So there was a lot of, of rumors that Drew Locke would go to the Broncos at 10. And he did go to them at 10 just in the second round. So they traded with the Steelers and still got the guy that some people were saying that they were trying to get with their first round pick. So do you think this was a good move? I mean, obviously, it's a high value pick, uh, considering where they got him. But you know, what are what are the chances that Drew Locke can make an impact with the Broncos right away? And this is the anti-Daniel Jones pick because they traded out. They knew the value of Drew Locke in the league, and they got him at a spot, I think 42nd or something around there, where they felt comfortable with the value of the player. And I really respect that. I think they did a good job addressing getting a mismatch weapon in Noah Fant. You know, they added some pieces to the offensive line. I think when you look at Denver, when it comes down to it, they understood how this draft would play out. And that's something that John Elway has not always succeeded with in the past. But this year, he really, really got it. Now, the reason Drew Locke was a second-round pick is because he's not going to be an instant impact player. That's why they went out and they acquired Joe Flacco. Mm-hmm. They felt that they needed to build a structure that Drew Locke can go to and not have to play this year. And, you know, if Joe Flacco gets hurt, I think Drew Locke can come in and play. But when it comes down to it, I think they're very comfortable in developing him because he's somebody that had round-one traits. When you look at the arm talent, the athleticism, some of the splash plays, especially throwing the football down the field, that's what they want to get more consistent in his game, and that's why they won't rush him either. The first four went, you know, within halfway through the second round, but then it seemed to be slow going as as we moved on. So if if you had to predict uh, who's a quarterback that was drafted, you know, past the third round that is most likely to start the the quickest or make the most impact right away? Oh, it's it's tricky. There are yeah, you look across the board here, and I mean. I think it's interesting. You have guys like that will have backup roles that could force them into play at some point. When you look at Will Greer in Carolina, Ryan Finley in Cincinnati, I think both of them are in systems where they will be asked to play at some point because the, both of those quarterbacks are obviously, you know, could be injury prone. Mm-hmm. With Dalton, I think he struggled at times. This was not a quarterback class where you're going to find any heroes on day three. That's the thing. I, I like Tyree Jackson as an undrafted free agent. I think when you look at, you know, Easton Stick might play a little bit in that Taysom Hill kind of role for the Chargers, Mm -hmm. although Philip Rivers might not love that. So (laughs) when it comes down to it for me, sometimes these guys just are who they are. And, you know, there might not be any heroes or any steals, but there are guys that can be long-term backups down the stretch. Yeah, and then uh, the the last or one of the last things I want to talk about is some day three steals. So, I mean, we talked about a little bit before. It's definitely hard. You know, because some guys that aren't on your radar show up in day three. And, I mean, we've seen guys come out of nowhere, you know, Antonio Brown, Tom Brady, Richard Sherman, guys like that from those day three picks that have been big impact players on their team. Is there one or two guys that you see have that potential? 
Well, I look at two wide receivers in this class, and it would be Hakeem Butler and Kelvin Harmon, two big body targets that win the football on the air. And I think the offenses they went to are really good fits. I mean, you look at Hakeem Butler, he's going to be the red zone guy in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. And it's perfect because he's somebody that can work back to the football. Obviously, Kyler Murray is going to extend plays. He's going to roll out. He's going to you know, look to th- take his chances. And I think Hakeem Butler's the guy you throw to mm-hmm. when you want to take those chances, give somebody a shot to go up and get it. And then you look at Kelvin Harmon in Washington with Dwayne Haskins. I think it's an interesting group over there in Washington because you have a lot of question marks at wide receiver. And I think when it comes down to it for Jay Gruden's offense, he's going to give all those guys a fair shake at getting on the field. Keep in mind, this is a team that just lost Jamison Crowder. So, when it comes down to it for me, they're they're going to have targets there. They're going to have reps. Now I'm curious to see how long Case Keenum holds that job. I think it's going to be interesting to watch Haskins at camp work with his guy, Terry McLaren, from Ohio State. They're very familiar as being mm-hmm. teammates in Ohio State. They're going to get reps together. I think they have a lot of question marks. Like I said, Trey Quinn is over there. Kelvin Harmon has a perfect chance to win. And Josh Doxson is always hurt. And yeah. so is Paul Richardson. So when it comes down to it for me, you'd like to see those guys stay healthy, but the reality is they haven't. So Kelvin Harmon for me is the other guy that I think can get the chance to be a breakout kind of round six steal. Yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to to see some of those guys that you don't really expect to show up and, and make a big, big difference. But before I let you go, I just want to get your offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year predictions. And then I want you to predict if you know as best you can the top three picks of the 2020 draft yeah so i'll be spoiling a little stick to football content here but we uh we did this on our most recent show so offensive rookie of the year we went with josh jacobs defensive rookie of the year we went with nick bosa i won't spoil the honorable mentions and the dark horse contenders because <laughs> there are plenty of those mm-hmm. but i think those are the obvious picks for me just the kind of impact those players can have and they're both going to be on the field in huge roles right away top three picks in next year's draft oof Man, it's not easy. I mean, I'm going to start and, and say that uh, Tua Tungabailoa and Jake Fromm are in that mix. I'm mm-hmm. curious to see. And Justin Herbert. I think the three quarterbacks right there, I'm not saying they're going to go one, two, three. But if I had to pick three guys that should be top five, top ten locks, i look at those three quarterbacks. And listen, Chase Young on defense, Jerry Judy and T. Higgins at wide receiver, C.D. Lamb, all the running backs. There's a lot of fun players at the skill positions in this draft, but – those quarterbacks always tried the narratives, and I think those three are going to be in the conversation all year long. Yeah, no, those are those are definitely a safe pick. I mean, for most teams that, you know, most teams filled their quarterback needs, but for those that didn't, they're definitely looking toward 2020 to find that uh, that franchise guy because it seems like there's a lot of of those high high quality guys in you know in the in the first ten picks. Yeah, without a doubt, it happens every year. We see the trades kind of switch everything around. Uh, you know, you're going to see some quarterbacks, unfortunately, struggle this year, and teams are going to have to reevaluate if if those are their guys of the future. I think some eyes are on Tennessee with that. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams in those scenarios, and Miami will be like that even after acquiring Josh Rosen. So it, it'll always kind of control how the draft order falls. And it, once again, it'll be another year of the draft without any shortage of drama. Of course. I mean, that's what that's what part of the fun is, just watching all the uh, It's the NFL's the best reality show right now. It really is. <laughs> Honestly. Well, Connor, thank you so much for being on. It's great to, to talk a little NFL draft with you. Uh, make sure you guys check out the Stick to Football podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts. Connor, do you want to give another plug for, for that as well? 
Yeah, I mean, that's where you can find us, Spotify, if that's your jam. I mean, we're pretty much everywhere now on the Bleacher Report app, so it's it's been a lot of fun. And uh, you can find me at Connor J. Rogers if you somehow can't find the podcast. It'll live on my feed as well. So, <laughs> uh, I, once again, I really appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, of course. And, guys, don't forget to, to check out the website. New blogs coming out, new podcast episodes. you find them on there, Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts, www.notgonnaliepod.com. And thanks for listening, guys.